And uh, thanks for the privilege to be here today. And then uh, I also am back here next Sunday as well. And my wife Carla will be with me then. We really do appreciate your church, your partnership with us uh, in prayer, financial support uh, for our ministry. And uh, so thankful for Jeff and Denise Ellis uh, and the rest of your staff. But Jeff and Denise have just always been great encouragements and uh, certainly praying for uh, their time away and uh, Jeff's full and complete recovery um, at this time. So thanks for uh, all that you do for us. Um, I'll give you a few updates before we open up God's Word together. Uh, just a chapel. We do chapel at the ballpark every Sunday, but really our ministry is year-round with players, wives, girlfriends. Uh, one of the coaches lived with us last year, the entire uh, season. And so just like a pastor would or a church would is what we seek uh, to do. Uh, one of the young men on our team, and you can pray for this guy, uh, Kerry Carpenter. Uh, Kerry is an outfielder, designated hitter. And uh, Kerry came to Christ three years ago uh, this January. And uh, Kerry has a wonderful story. If you'd like to read more about it, I encourage you just to Google Kerry Carpenter and uh, the Erie News. Uh, the Erie newspaper did a story about Kerry last year. And it's a wonderful story about not just his baseball, but him coming to faith in Christ. Uh, Kerry uh, started last season in AA Erie and did huge well. He's an outfielder hitter. And uh, then he got called up to Toledo and did better there. And then he got called up to Detroit in August. And that's a ball player's dream, right? And he got called up to Detroit. He went 0 for his first eight. That means in his first eight at-bats, he didn't get a hit. And he struck out six times. And so it was not the greatest beginning, but then he settled down and really did well. And so pray for this young man, just excited about and uh, growing uh, in his faith. And then as you think of this time of year, uh, if you follow a lot of trades that go back and forth and uh, people being uh, let go or signed, and uh, know that every time those things happen, just yesterday one happened, uh, the, the chaplains, myself, yesterday the chaplain for the Phillies, uh, we touch base, correspond, and say, hey, this guy's coming, he's a believer, or this guy's not a believer, but comes to chapel perhaps. And so know that uh, just a lot goes on in preparation uh, for the upcoming season. Every year we do a big event at Comerica Park called Home Plate. Uh, many of you have been to it. Uh, thanks for your uh, participation. This year it'll be June 10th. And what we do is we invite churches from all over the state uh, we'll have anywhere from five to 9,000 people come to a game early. And uh, this year, it's Saturday, June 10th, 9.30, we'll have a program where players come out and talk about their faith in Christ. After the program, this year, we're back to being able to do an on-the-field baseball clinic. So you get to go on the outfield grass at Comerica Park, uh, and they'll do a baseball clinic down there. And you spend about an hour out there on the grass, if you'd like, take your Christmas picture out by the wall, um, and, uh, and then after that is the ball game. And so uh, if you have any interest in that, uh, you can come as a group, you can come individually. There's a website, tell you how to order tickets. And uh, there's uh, items on a table out here in the lobby. And I'll be back there after the service. But uh, you can pick stuff up there. There's a magnet with the website. There's some baseball cards. And on the back of the baseball cards are players' testimonies of faith in Christ. There's no baseball stats, just uh, their story 
of how they came to faith in Christ. So pick up any of that that you like, and if it works for you to come in June uh, to that event, we'd love to have you there uh, as part of it. And then just a little personal update. This is really a cool thing about a month ago. Uh, I went to high school in the Detroit area. In fact, I came to faith in Christ uh, at a public high school um, from a total non-church background. And I got invited to go back to that school and speak in their world religion class. Uh, In fact, several classes of that subject. And I had complete freedom to share whatever I wanted to share. How cool is that? In a public school setting, to be able to go in and just share like we'll do today, open up the Bible and share my story of faith in Christ. And I'm hoping and praying uh, that that's an annual thing. Uh, This teacher's very uh, supportive of uh, allowing someone to come in and do that. So appreciate your prayers as we continue uh, there in the Detroit area. Um, this Sunday and next Sunday, and Bob, I didn't know this, uh, we're going to speak from First and Second Peter. And so uh, in your Bibles, uh, I encourage you to go read those two books over the next week. And just spend time reading First and Second Peter. And as you do, uh, I might encourage you to look for a few things. Uh, one is uh, look for uh, the word salvation. Uh, it's found throughout that uh, First Peter especially. Uh, another word that is key is the word submitting or submission. And then a third word is the word suffering. And so uh, those are three words that kind of in First Peter especially uh, highlight or break down uh, the book. Uh, there's another phrase in there that we'll look at today. And uh, if you like to mark in your Bible, I encourage you to mark it or write these references down and you can uh, highlight them later. Uh, but here's the setting of First and Second Peter. Uh, Peter is the author. And this is Peter who was the fisherman who Jesus called and Peter became a follower of Christ. And you can read about that in Luke chapter 5. And so Peter's the author of this book. We don't know where Peter was when he wrote it. Uh, But Peter's base uh, had been the city of Jerusalem. And uh, Peter was a leader in the church in Jerusalem, especially early on in the book of Acts. And uh, if you remember in Acts chapter 7 and 8, there's a persecution that comes to Jerusalem. And many of the Jewish Christians there disperse. They scatter. And uh, a lot of them go land in what we would call present-day Turkey. And so Peter now is writing a letter to many people that he knew who had been dispersed or scattered up into this area of Turkey. In fact, if you have your Bible with you, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, here's what it says. In verse number 1, it says, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And if you get a map out, all those locations are in Turkey. And here's what's interesting. Some of those locations are locations that the Apostle Paul had wanted to go preach at in Acts chapter 16, and God directed Paul a different direction over into Greece. And so you might think reading in Acts that these people were kind of just forgotten about. But that's not the case. God had someone else at another time designated to have ministry in their lives. And that was Peter 
in writing these two letters. And I love that thought. In fact, First and Second Peter, for me over the last two or three years, with COVID, uh, with not being able to meet together early on, uh, feeling like we'd been scattered or isolated, uh, these two letters uh, just really resonated and spoke with me. Uh, here's a God who doesn't forget uh, us and has people placed in our lives to minister to us. And so that's Peter writing these two letters. Uh, we don't know exactly the years, but uh, many conclude that 1 Peter was written in 64 AD, right as the emperor of Rome, Nero, was beginning to persecute Christians. And that would spread throughout the Roman Empire. And so uh, it's right on the, the cusp of some hard times of suffering coming. And then uh, Second Peter, uh, Peter died in 67 AD, and uh, most people place Second Peter uh, shortly before Peter's death. And so probably a two or three year gap between these two books. And uh, these are letters that uh, Peter wrote to uh, other believers that he loved, who he probably hadn't seen in a while, who'd been scattered away, and he says, hey, I want to, you're still in my mind and heart, and I want to encourage you. And so that's the setting of these two books. Now today we want to zoom in on a passage in 1 Peter and in chapter 2. And if you have a Bible, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says this. It says in verse 21, for to this you have been called. Now I want to just focus on that phrase for a moment. That phrase occurs five times in the book. To this you were called. And so when you read 1 Peter, it's almost like Peter is saying, I want to remind you what you've been called to. And when Peter wrote those words, we'll have to ask him one day, uh, likely he would have thought of his calling. When Jesus had called out to that fisherman and said, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And uh, hopefully you know that you've responded to God's call to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, for me, I told you a moment ago, I responded to that call as a sophomore in high school uh, in the 1970s. And I knew that Jesus was calling me to receive him as my Savior and Lord and to be a follower of his. And that's a key moment in anyone's life. It's the most important moment in anyone's life when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I hope you know that is true in your life. If not, today uh, would be a great day to say, you know what, I'm going to become a follower of Christ, like Peter did. And so Peter now is writing to these people and says five times in the book, to this you've been called. If you want to jot down the five references, and of course you can just read it and find them, but chapter 1, verse 15, chapter 2, verse 9, uh, chapter 2, verse 21, where we're looking. Chapter 3, verse 9, and chapter 5, and verse 15. And so we go now to uh, chapter 2, verse 21, and let's read together. Uh, I'll read out, and you follow along uh, at verse 21. For to this you've been called, uh, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. And we'll talk about that word example in just a moment. Uh, that you should follow in his steps. I want to talk about that little phrase, in his steps, for a moment. 
There's a great book that was written about 120 years ago now called In His Steps. In fact, I brought a copy of it here with me. Anyone ever read this book? Several have. Great. I'd encourage you to get and read it. It's a fictitious story of a town uh, where the pastor of the church in that town one day uh, says, you know what, what if I live my life walking in the steps of Christ? And he, the author of this book, got the idea for the book from this verse, where it says, uh, Christ left you an example that you should follow in his steps. And in the book, it begins with the pastor, then it goes to his elders and the church, and then the community. He repeatedly asks himself a question. He said, before I do or say anything, I'm going to ask myself the question, what would Jesus do? Anyone know that phrase? What would Jesus do? How many ever wore a WWJD bracelet? Okay. Anyone have one on today? Okay. You have one on today? How about that? You get World Series tickets. <laughs> They're from 2014 when we didn't go, but you can have them. But uh, so there's the bracelet you may all remember, WWJD. And uh, so back in the 1990s, there was a gal down in the Grand Rapids area in 1997, uh, 1996, named, uh, actually, excuse me, 1989, named Janie Tinklenberg. And she worked with the youth at her church, and she would have the youth read different books uh, throughout the year. And so they landed on reading this book in his steps. And as they read it, and as that phrase, what would Jesus do, kind of stuck in their minds, she said, how do I get the kids to remember this? And so she made up a bracelet and made up a bunch of them for the kids in her youth group, just homemade little bracelets. And uh, that kind of got around the Grand Rapids area, and people saw them and wanted more. Uh, and here's what she said. She said, I wanted the young people to realize that we have a standard that we have some standard that we are going to follow. And that verse says it all. We're going to follow in his steps. He is our standard, Jesus Christ. And so she made up these bracelets. We're going to get around. And Zondervan Publishing, you all heard of Zondervan, big publishing? Uh, they got a hold of these and helped her produce them in greater mass. To where, a few years later, in uh, 1997, during the week of Easter, Paul Harvey, the news broadcaster, mentioned these bracelets every day during the week of Easter on his radio show. And within a year or two, 15 million plus have been sold. And so the bracelet, what would Jesus do, came from the book uh, In His Steps, and the book In His Steps came from the verse we're looking at. Christ left you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, whether you wear the bracelet or not, I'm not concerned about. But I am concerned for you and for me that we do what that verse says, that we follow in his steps. The word example in that verse is a key word. Uh, the Greek word, and the New Testament is written in the Greek language, uh, the Greek word is the word hupogrammas. And the part of the word uh, gramas, you'll recognize. We get the English word grammar. We get graphite from that word. Gramas means writing. Hupo means under. And so the literal translation of that word example 
is underwriting. So if we read it that way, it says, Christ left you an underwriting that you should follow in his steps. So what in the world is an underwriting? Well, the Greeks used an underwriting to teach their kids how to write the alphabet. Uh, they would take a piece of parchment, write the alphabet out on it, and then they would take a thin piece of material like we would call tracing paper. How many remember tracing paper? Okay. How many don't know what tracing paper is? Yeah, I know. You guys are young. But, um, uh, and so tracing paper was a thin piece you'd put over the original and you'd trace it. Okay. And uh, so the Greeks knew what that word meant. It was the original that went under the tracing paper for their kids to learn the alphabet. And so that's what it's saying. Christ is the original that you and I are to what? Trace. How you doing? What's your life look like? And I'm asking myself. We are to be copies of the original. Christ is the original. And our lives are to be patterned after his. I want to illustrate it for you here today. And so a number of years ago, I worked in a ministry. And uh, they had a little gift that they would give out to kids. And it was a picture. Uh, if I can get this open here. Here we go. Uh, it was a picture here of Christ. And uh, you all see that there? And I think it'll be on the screen. Uh, standing at a door. Okay. And down at the bottom it says, knocking at the door. Uh, and it says there are 1,628 words of Scripture. And if you look at this closely afterwards, uh, you'll see that everything on here is a verse from the Bible. And it begins with Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And by using different pressures and amounts of ink, uh, they created this image of Christ standing at a door knocking. It's a great little picture, and it's got all Bible verses on it. So here, let's call this the original. And so following the verse in our Bible, Christ left you an example that you should follow in his steps. Here's the underwriting. And you and I are to trace his life and to trace who he is. Now, uh, I didn't sit down and get a piece of tracing paper and do this by hand. But I did go to the local copy place a number of years ago, and I put this on a copy machine. I put in a dime or a quarter, whatever it was, and I pressed a button, and guess what came out? A copy of the original. And so here is the copy of that original. Uh, can you all see the same image there? You can. You can still tell it's a picture of this. And folks, that's the picture of what you and I are to do. We are to be copies of the original. Uh, so that day at Kinko's or wherever I was at, I took the original and I set it aside. And um, uh, I put copy number one on the machine, put in some more change, pressed the button, and out came copy number two. That'd be number two. This is not hard math. Um, but uh, here came copy number two. So copy number two is not a copy of the original, but it is a copy of copy number what? One, which was a copy of the original. And uh, you still can pretty much make out the picture there. And so then I took copy number one off the machine, put copy number two on the glass, put in some more coins, pressed the button, and guess what came out? Copy number three. And you, do you notice it's just starting to fade a little. Uh, you know how many times I did it that day at uh, that copy place? 
I did it 40 times. And you thought life was dull, uh, ministry was dull and boring, didn't you? So 40 times I did that and pushed the button. Here is copy number 10. Now you're, you can't really make out any words anymore. And here is copy number 25. And the last copy I made was copy number 40. And now you don't even know which way to hold it. And folks, the lesson is this. We've never been called to be copies of other copies. We've been called to be copies of Christ. And I think so often, while other people can help us, we get satisfied with just being like somebody else. And God never said to do that. He said, don't just be a copy of someone else. Be a copy of Christ. Uh, and so, uh, you want to be like your pastor? That's great. But you know what? Set your goals much higher. And I'm not knocking Jeff, uh, me, uh, anybody. We're there to help, but we ain't the end result. Uh, you say, my parents were such godly people. Great. Copy them, but go beyond that and be a copy of Christ. And so that's the idea of this verse and passage is, don't be a copy of a copy, but be a copy of the original. Now, if that's what we're called to do, and that's what the verse said, Christ left you an example, you're called to this, that you and I should follow in his steps. What does that look like and how does it play out? And uh, God, I think anytime he tells us to do something, doesn't just leave us hanging. He tells us, hey, here's how you do it. And so in the verses that follow that we'll now look at, uh, I think he gives four things there that tell us how to copy Christ. And so here they are. Here's the first one. In verse number 22, uh, it says this, he committed no sin. So let's start with a real easy one. He committed no sin. But that is who I'm supposed to copy. Am I going to do that perfectly? No. And uh, you won't either. But you know, someone said if you don't have a target to shoot at, you'll never hit it, right? But that is our target. Christ lived a sinless life. Uh, no, no sin in his thought, in his words, in his actions. No sin. And by the way, that's why he then could come and give his life on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And took that punishment that we deserved. And so he committed no sin in his life. How are you doing with that? We all struggle. We all battle it. It's a daily uh, war, a daily fight. But folks, that's what we're called to do. And so let's be mindful that we're not just called to enjoy the promise of heaven one day. We're called to live lives that are holy in this world. In fact, earlier in the book, early in the letter, uh, he says, you've been called to be holy. And that means I separate myself, not away from people, but I separate myself away from sin. Uh, years ago, uh, many of you remember the name Ernie Harwell, a longtime broadcaster of the Tigers, dear brother in Christ. And uh, before I actually was doing chapel, uh, Ernie had someone come in to speak in chapel uh, who had been a missionary, and I forget what part of the world uh, the gentleman was at, 
But in that part of the world, there was a particular monkey uh, that lived there, was native to the area, and uh, the people in that area loved to capture that monkey and uh, eat it for dinner. And so um, the way they would, th this monkey loved a particular nut. And so what they would do is they would put some nuts on the ground, and then they would get over to a tree, and somewhere up on the tree they would tie a gourd that they had hollowed out, little hole in it, and put some nuts in that gourd. And then uh, they would go hide in the brush, and a monkey would come and see the nuts on the ground, begin picking it up, and get to the tree, scamper up the tree, look in the hole of that gourd and see the mother load, and take its paw and put it in that hole and reach and grab a fistful. And the hole was sized just right that it could get its paw in this way, but once it made a fist, it couldn't get out. And the natives would just walk out of the brush with a, a, a stick, a club, hit it over the head, and kill it, and it was in the pot for dinner that night. All because it wouldn't what? Just let go. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes we're like that, aren't we? We grab a hold of something that is sin, and we just won't let go. And you know what the devil loves to do? Just beat us over the head with a club of guilt, uh, with a club of shame. Uh, we can't be killed spiritually eternally. Our salvation is secure in Christ. But life is no fun when you're hanging on to something getting beat up over it, is it? And folks, that's what we're called to do, is to let go of sin. Uh, how do we do that? Uh, two simple ways, and they don't change. Uh, let me read these two verses to you. One from Psalm uh, 119 and verse uh, 9 through 11. David wrote these words. He said this, uh, How can a young man keep his way pure? Uh, so how can a young guy or gal or anybody keep their uh, life away from sin? Uh, by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Uh, let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There it is. Be in the word of God. Read it, study it, memorize it, gather like this around it. Uh, sing about it as we did earlier. The word of God. And then a second thing that David prayed in Psalm 139, at the end of that Psalm, verses 23 and 24, he said this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Prayer. And so there's no secret here, folks. You don't have to go to seminar. Uh, for the believer, the Christian, the follower, who's been called to be like Christ, to stay away from sin, uh, it's the word of God in prayer. Uh, and so there is what we're to copy. What else are we to copy uh, in 1 Peter? It goes on to say this then. Uh, in uh, verse number 22 and 23, it says, Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Talking about what Jesus said and how he spoke. So here's the second uh, way I'm to walk in his steps. I'm to stay away from sin, but then secondly, you and I are to control our speech. Doesn't our tongue often get us into trouble? Uh, what does James write about it? It's like a, a spark that starts a fire, or like a poisonous snake. 
I mean, it can do some damage uh, in a negative way. At the same time, he talks about it being like a rudder to a ship, being able to guide and direct. And, uh, and so the tongue in our speech is so very powerful. And we are to copy Christ in that area. If you read through the Gospels, uh, as you do, Christ spoke in many different ways to different people. Uh, sometimes his words were comforting. And I think for the believer, uh, his words are so often comforting to us. Uh, other times, his words were commanding. He commanded uh, nature, uh, the storm to be uh, stilled, uh, the wind to stop. Uh, he saw people rise from the dead. So his words are comforting, his words are commanding. And when he gives us commands, we're supposed to listen. And then sometimes his words are confronting, especially to those that are uh, in error or false teachers. And you know, the same is true as I read the Bible. Sometimes it's very comforting. Other times there are commands there I need to respond to. And sometimes it's just confronting. God's calling me out on something. And you know what? For the believer who wants to pattern his or her life after Christ, that's how our words should be. And it takes wisdom to make sure we match up the right type of words with the right situation. And so how are you doing in that? How are your words reflecting what Christ might say and do? Uh, how many uh, watched this last Monday night, the Monday night football game uh, with DeMar Hamlin? You know the story? And saw this uh, young athlete uh, uh, for the Buffalo Bills go down, and apparently his heart stopped twice. And they brought him back to life, and hopefully uh, he's on his way to a full recovery. Uh, what a great testimony about prayer over the last week, even in the games uh, last night. Um, and so very, very uh, uh, traumatic situation. There's one NFL player that has died on the football field. How many know who that is? He was a Detroit Lion. His name is Chuck Hughes. And uh, Chuck played for the Lions back in the 70s. He was a receiver, and I think there's a picture here we'll have of him. And uh, this was when they played at uh, Old Tiger Stadium. Uh, do we have that uh, picture? Hopefully it'll come up. And so um, Chuck uh, was a wide receiver. They were playing in October and, uh, at Old Tiger Stadium. And uh, toward the end of a game against the Chicago Bears, he had run out, run a pass route, turned around to come back to the huddle. The Lions were driving, trying to uh, tie the game up, and he collapsed. And uh, he, it would be discovered later that when he got to the hospital, he was dead uh, on arrival, pronounced dead, and uh, his... Uh, Arteries had just clogged up. They had arteriosclerosis, and he died right there. Uh, his wife was Sharon, and they had a little boy named Shane, a year or two or three old, something like that. So this was a Sunday game. On the day before, on the Saturday, uh, during the late morning, before the team would go check into a hotel, uh, most NFL teams will check into a hotel, even at home, the night before the game. And so the players leave their families and go check in. So before they went to the hotel that afternoon, uh, Shane, or excuse me, uh, um, Chuck, his wife Sharon, and their little boy had gone to a birthday party of another little boy. And at that party, 
Chuck and his wife Sharon argued over whether or not their boy should be allowed to chew gum. And it got so heated, and, and I'm, all of us in marriages have been through times where we have said or done things we regret, got so heated that Sharon said to Chuck these words. Before the week is out, one of the two of you have to go. And those were the last words they ever spoke. Every Saturday night, when Chuck would check into a hotel, he would call his wife. But he didn't that night. And uh, Charlie Vincent from one of the Detroit papers did a great article a few years ago on the anniversary of that death on the field, interviewing Sharon. And she said these words. I'm paraphrasing. I, I meant to bring the article, and I didn't. She said, I felt like I should have been convicted for first-degree murder because of the words she had spoken. And uh, if you can find the article online, she talks then about the healing that would eventually come for her and for her boy. But folks, all of us have said words like that. And what if they were the last words we said? You know what Jesus said? Be careful what you say. And if you say something wrong, make it right. Uh, don't use words as a weapon Use words like Jesus did to command in a godly way, to comfort, encourage, and when it's needed, in love, speak the truth to confront. And so if we're going to pattern our lives after someone, uh, let's pattern our speech. Let's pattern our social media after Christ. Let's talk and use words like he would. Then two final things. Down in verse number 23, it says this. Jesus continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Here's what I learned. That we are to trust God through times of suffering. How do you handle suffering? How do you handle the bad times of life? So often it's easy to blame someone else or to excuse it away uh, or to feel uh, bitter at God. And Jesus, who, as we said earlier, had not sinned, did not deserve to die on the cross, suffered on our behalf unjustly. And what did he do through it all? Complain? Get bitter? No. He said, I'm going to trust my heavenly Father. And folks, there is the example for us as we follow Christ and go through periods of suffering, we trust our God through it. In fact, I think uh, our greatest witness to those around us who are not believers are when we go through times of suffering. And that's what these people in 1 Peter were going through. And they were living in a new community. They'd been dispersed. And how were they going to be a witness for Christ? by handling the persecution that was to come the way that Christ handled the suffering. Trust God through it. I think I've told this story here before uh, of uh, one of our players uh, on the team back in the early 2000s, actually went to the World Series in 2006 with the Tigers, Mike Maroth, 
Uh, Mike's a left-handed pitcher. And uh, Mike did something in uh, 2003 that had not been done for 20 years. He had lost 20 games, or actually was on the verge of losing 20. And that's a big negative, okay? For a starting pitcher to lose 20 games in the season, not a good thing. And so Mike was sitting on 19 losses. And it was September. Tigers had a miserable year that year. And the Tigers were playing in Toronto. I actually went up that Friday. We did a Bible study with some guys on the team. Then we went out to lunch. And while we were out at lunch, my cell phone rang. It was Mike's wife, Brooke, calling to ask to speak to Mike. Uh, they didn't, he didn't have uh, cell coverage or something up there. And she knew we were getting together. And so I gave Mike the phone, and Brooke, his wife, told Mike, hey, uh, your grandmother passed away this morning. And she had been sick. We'd been praying for her. They were very close. And so Mike was supposed to pitch that Friday night, and uh, he could have easily said to the team, hey, I need to go home. And we went back to the hotel. He prayed about what to do. He said, I'm going to pitch tonight. And remember, he's sitting on 19 losses. Uh, so he goes out to pitch that night. ESPN was there to cover the game. Kind of like the car wreck. You know, everyone wants to see, oh, what happened over there? The guy who had lost 20 games 20 years earlier, he was there at the game. Okay, so ESPN could talk to him. And uh, sure enough, in the first inning, I think we scored a couple runs. We were ahead. I'm like, good, this will be a good story. You know, Mike will get a win. Bottom of the first, Mike gives up some runs. Now we're behind. And he went on to lose that game. And how would you handle that? Your grandmother just passed away, your career, bad mood, you know, bad thing in your career right now. How do you handle stuff like that? Uh, you know what? Mike stood and answered every question, didn't run and hide. I don't know this for sure, but I've been told the guy who lost 20 games 20 years earlier, when he lost his 20th, went back to the hotel he was staying at, went up to his room, and I've heard this, I don't know if it's true, took a TV and threw it out the window. <laughs> Okay, some of us handle bad things that way, don't we? We're going to kick the dog, slam the door, and, you know, Mike handled it. And uh, the next day, I met with one of our coaches to go play racquetball. I'm not a Christian. And uh, he was telling me about what was going on in the clubhouse. Players were defending Mike, like, you better be here when this guy wins 20 games. And I said to this coach, a former player, pretty hard-nosed guy, so what'd you say to Mike? Here's what he said. Uh, not a believer. He said, I said to Mike, remember who you pitch for. They all knew he was a Christian, and they recognized here's a guy that still honors Christ when he goes through tough times. And that's what Jesus did. And folks, that's what we're to do. Don't quit, but be a person who says, you know what, this, I don't want this, but I'm going to trust God through this period. And then the final thing as we wrap up. Uh, look at uh, the end of uh, the passage here. Down in verse number 25, it says, the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so if Christ is a shepherd, you and I are to be shepherds to other people too. He's the chief shepherd, but we're also to be spiritual mentors, guides, witnesses to others around us. And we're to let other people help shepherd us. And so that's the picture in this passage uh, we are to be people who follow the example that Christ left and walk in his steps. Folks, uh, let's not be faded out.
You know, no one likes looking at that. But let's be a copy of the original. Father, thanks for the word of God and uh, the truths that are so deep of it, but then also the practical side that is given for us to live it out. And so I pray that, uh, first of all, anyone here who has not responded to the call of salvation in Christ, that that might be true in their lives and happen today. And then, Father, for those who have been called as followers of Christ, uh, may we walk in his steps and be a copy of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.